Hey guys, first and foremost, as always, humbled, thankful for you listening to the podcast. Keep hitting me up on Twitter with feedback. Also, um, really excited about something. Over the last several months, it's become uh, very clear to me that the 4Ds product that VaynerMedia has, the one-day consulting session that's $10,000, that's really... kind of going after a business doing a million, maybe 500,000 to 20 million a year in revenue has been really working. We 60 to 70% of the businesses have had ridiculous uh, ROI from the session. And so now I'm rolling it out because it clearly works. So VaynerMedia is uh, super proud to present uh, uh, the four Ds, uh, the daily digital deep dive, GaryVEE.com slash four D the number 4D podcast, GaryVEE.com, 4D podcast, if you're ready to take your business to the next level. Joined by Gary V. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm thrilled to be here. Now, listen, you have an unbelievable career. I mean, when you try to follow every single plot point, you're, you know, your head, everybody's head just spins because you've done so many things in such a short amount of time. Did you ever think to yourself, when you were just a little kid, you know what? I'm gonna, when I get older, I'm gonna be this internationally renowned inspirational figure that's gonna really put a dent in the universe. You know, it's an interesting question. I definitely, and you know, I think this is where parenting and environment come in. I definitely thought I was different at an extremely young age. Um, I grew up in a world that didn't reward outwardly the things that I was about. It, it still blows my mind that I was you know, 15, 16 years old making real money in my side businesses and every teacher I had and every friend's parent thought I was gonna be a loser. And, I, and by the way, people have gotten to know me. It wasn't that I was just making money. It wasn't like I was selling drugs or doing it the wrong way. I was making money. I was being kind to everybody in school. I was a respectful clown, class clown to my teachers so they liked me. All my parents, my friends' parents, you know, loved me because I was a good influence on their boys, you know, and so, and yet, D's and F's were enough to take everything that you were seeing in front of you. So, you know, I don't want to, listen, I know there's a lot of people listening who don't know who I am, and so it's tough to come out the gate after you said such a nice thing to say, yes, I knew. But I, look, for example, actually, let's do this, let's do this backwards. I really think it's an extremely small fraction of the actual way it all plays out right this minute. Okay. So I think we sit here 27 years from now and it starts getting really weird. Like really weird. Like really weird. In terms of the reach. I think everybody and, will know who I am. Right. And I think I'm going to have a real positive impact. And it's not, and I'm not looking to be, I'm looking like if you take Oprah and Richard Branson and you combine them, I'm looking for a serious multiplier of that. So I have real ambition. And, 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 you know, I, if you look at my actions, I speak to it. I just came from standing in the snow outside of IHOP, you know, where 300 people showed up, you know, for what? Because I, I, I'm so grateful. Like, for, because I grew up being a big sports fan, and if Don Mattingly or Patrick Young or Al Toon did that, I'd still be thinking about it. Right. What, now, when you were young, yes. you're talking about, look, you definitely thought you were special, but you weren't the best student in the world. No. That idea about, you know what? And I wasn't good at sports. So you really had two outlets, right? Grades in sports. Right. Now, being good at neither, at what point is there a singular moment that you can point to that you could say, you know what? Had this not happened, I'm not sure things would have worked out. So given the context of this show, 
I don't, you know, to me, had this not happened, had America and Israel not teamed up to get 200,000 Jews out of the Soviet Union, I mean, I'm in a totally different place. So at the most macro, I've had some really remarkable things happen. For, for the reality of like trying to make it a little bit more practical, had I not said yes to the big fat man's $200 price for a baseball card table when I was in eighth grade and had not experienced real fear because it's felt like a lot of money that we were not gonna make back and then to have that first Saturday make back the entire table and profit by noon of the Saturday of a two-day sports card show in Phillipsburg, New Jersey, after we made a pact, me and my business partners at the time, Jason Riker and John Churchak. If you know who Jason Riker or John Churchak is, please find them. <laughs> anyway, they grew up in Hunterdon County, New Jersey. Nonetheless, they were my two business partners. We made a pact. When we go to the mall and we ask for the price of the table, if it's more than $20, we won't do the show. Right. We had no context, you know? Right. You know, we get there, an enormous man walked out. Call him... King Kong Bundy meets Captain Lou Albano, right? <laughs> Those are two excellent references. <laughs> Thank you. And this is for the 40-year-old crowd. Right. Anyway, he goes, can I help you? And we're like, we want to buy a table. He's like, well, we don't have any left. And I'm like, please. He's like, okay, I can sell, you know, classic. We don't have any more. There was right. like four tables empty even after us. Right. Anyway, what, uh, okay, well, I can, I can make one available for you. $200. I go, we'll take it. The guy didn't even finish saying dollars. How old were you? I was uh, 13. Okay, 13. So $200 for a bunch of 13-year-olds In is, 1989 is real money. It's a lot of money. No internet, so you couldn't make money the way, thir- I mean, I'd, be, I'd have a million dollars if the internet was around. This is a different time, and this is when I wasn't really selling anything. It, it just seemed like a lot of money. It, it, honestly, to put it, well, I mean, me five years ago, if somebody, that, that would have been like $100,000. You know, it just right. like seemed impossible, and I was very scared, and my dad said, well, you're gonna lose money. My dad never talked to me at this point. A year later, I would start working in his liquor store and I got to know him, but at this point, we'd had four conversations. I'm not kidding. Right. We grew up very immigrant style. My dad would work every hour. I didn't really interact with him. But somehow I saw him. I stayed up that night. I'm trying to remember. Maybe, he came, maybe I tried to stay up and he came a little bit earlier, which would be like 9.30 p.m. And, uh, and he said, well, at least you'll learn something. It's worth the experience. So he recommended Spend the $200. I was stuck. I already paid it. <laughs> I was, he just, you know, and he's not a nurturing dude, but he, to his credit, he stands up in certain times and he said, you'll learn something for it. Man, I, I will never forget that. 86 tops fielders I was selling because fielder just came back from Japan yep. and hit like a ton of homers in April. Bo Jackson, black and white card, which is very iconic. Ken Griffey Jr. rookie cards because I knew he was going to pop. So it was just a very special moment for me. Had I not done that show, I still believe I'd be sitting here, but I feel like a different path. Right. You would have you would have been pushed down a different road because that gave you at such a young age immediate feedback, immediate positive feedback of overcoming fear. Yes. And overcoming the idea of, oh my God, I think I'm gonna fail. Yes. You're never gonna know if you succeed if you're scared of failing. You have to be able to put yourself out there and see what ends up happening. One hundred percent. And I'll tell you something else. I was so considered a failure, and I guess I'm harping on this, and I, I'm telling you guys, everyone who's listening, anybody who's over 37, 38, 39 is gonna really understand, and everybody underneath is gonna struggle. Right. School grades were such an outrageous index 
as a predictor to your success in life for all of us who are over 40 years old. I don't know what else to tell you. So where I'm going with this is I was dealing with so much failure since third grade that on the field, school, and I had so much success off the field, lemonade stands, baseball cards, flowers, car washing. Uh, my friend always says, you were a nice Jewish boy who sang harder Christmas carols than any of us. I mean, we used to, literally, there was, I've decided on my, blog, on my uh, podcast to invite my four core friends from the 80s that I've not massively stayed in touch with, and they're coming on the show. We have a text chain going to get all the logistics going. And I say, guys, I want you to really think about business stories because for my crowd, I mean, let's definitely talk about like silly stuff, but if you can remember anything, and I think back and thought 60% of my childhood was business. Right. So I write in the thread, listen, you know, bring up these stories. And then I say, like, because you know, 70% of our childhood was business. That was me goading them into like thinking a lot of it was business. Both two of my friends wrote back immediately, who are we joking, 90%. And it made me take a step back and say, holy crap, you know, there's not that many days in the summer and I do remember washing cars a lot and I do remember the, the miniature golf course I built in the back of my friend's yard. Like, right. So I had very hardcore negative reinforcements, fourth grade teacher telling me I'm not gonna amount to anything, fifth grade teacher, you're never gonna amount to anything, sixth grade teacher, you're the most disappointing student I've ever had. Like real, you know, when you're a kid. Those are real words. Those are real words. <laughs> and then to be able to kind of, you know, not fold and go out and then have somebody stop and buy $10 worth of lemonade, it was very, I lived a dual life. I'm, I'm a contradiction, I'm an enigma. I pull from opposite directions. Most of my success comes from that. And you know, and maybe that double life I lived during my childhood, because I'm not scared of losing, because I was tell, told that I was losing. Right, you were gonna lose anyway. That's right. Right, they, they were saying, look, you're not gonna amount to anything anyway, so in your mind, you're thinking, well, house why not money. try? House money, and I didn't believe them. You know, it wasn't even just like, well, if I have nothing to lose, I, I was like, you're wrong. Right. You know, my mom did a great job building my self-esteem. And, 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 and self-esteem without um, entitlement is very powerful. So with your father, it was a fairly distant relationship because yes. he was working so hard. Your mother really kept telling you, you know what? You're a great person. You can do this. And you're built a star. Up. Right. I mean, that never made sense literally until like the last three years. I mean, my mom really killed it. I'm a businessman until my mid-30s. I have nobody who knows who I am. And she's just like, you're a star, you're a star. And I just thought she loved celebrity culture and like read the National Enquirer. And listened carefully. She didn't say that to my sister or brother. And uh, she might have, you she, know, now I think she, she might be right? onto something. Go ahead. There's that motherly instinct uh, where mothers tell their children, look, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. But for you, it resonated beyond, that's just my mom supporting me. Like my mom really, your mother really infused in you this sense of you're special. Somewhere sophomore year, I'm walking down the hallway and I legitimately, this is a true story. I'm walking the hallway on a normal, who knows when day in high school, sophomore year. And I said, wait a minute, I'm not the best looking kid in this school. It was really funny. Like my mom brainwashed me so hard that not only was I the best, 
but I was the best looking, I was the best. Like, I just really believed it. Um, it's pretty remarkable. She really did a good job. You know, the expression of, you know, see it, believe it, achieve it, you know, the, sort of those steps, that really is true on, you know, from the metaphysical level all the way to the Newtonian level. When you are sitting back and thinking about those key moments, we have the, the, the baseball card moment as you progressed on, yes. we obviously have the transitioning of the family business, Yes, right? You take that over. What do you think in between the baseball card moment and when you decide to make this giant leap beyond the family business, um, you know, of, of liquor store and wine yes. and everything, what was a moment where you said, I'm going to do more than just run the family business? That's a good question because when I first got in at 22... There was a big part of me that just thought I would build the biggest e-commerce and re- like I thought I'd be in Minnesota right now with you because I have six locations in Minnesota and of course I'll go to the Super Bowl and check out of my stores and like I thought I'd have 17, I thought I was gonna have the Toys R Us of wine. Right, and when you took over the business, it there was- There was one store doing $3 million a year. Right, $3 million, so million I, was, I was, you know, I was off to the races mentally. I'm gonna build the Toys R Us of wine and and if I'm, if you said, hey, but where are you gonna be at 42 during the Super Bowl? I'm like, oh, I'll be in Minnesota and I'll be checking my stores. So I think what happened, my 30th birthday was very big. Very big. I was really starting to, me and my dad were starting to have some friction, right. family business dynamics. I was getting too much credit in the wine business. He felt like he wasn't a man, he was young. On my 30th birthday, my dad's 51 years old. Wow, I mean, yeah. they were, they, they were he young. was young when you came into this world. Correct, and so, He's still a young man. Now I'm not the kid that's not, now I'm not the, at this point the kid that works at his dad's liquor store. I'm this wine mogul, right? I'm nationally known, right? And you know, if I walked into Haskell's here in Minnesota, they would have known who I was. I was a player. I'd built a very large independent wine store. I had the biggest e-commerce wine business. Um, and, and I was driving on, on Route 95, um, from New York to New Jersey, because I lived in Manhattan at the time, and for some reason I looked at my, it was my birthday, it was my 30th birthday. I looked back at the rear view mirror on the highway, and for some reason I looked back at myself, I looked for driving purposes, right. and for some reason I looked at myself again, and now looking at myself. And the first thing that ran through my head was, you're full of shit. And it was the first time that had ever happened in my life. And I said to myself, you, mister, you're gonna buy the New York Jets? Because, by the way, everybody who knows me now, this was sixth grade, this was third grade. I've been saying this my whole life. Right. This isn't some shtick for YouTube right. in my 30s and 40s. Mister, you're gonna buy the New York Jets? You're not gonna buy anything. You're not gonna buy a, a jet, let alone the New York Jets. Because, <laughs> And what I was saying to myself is your actions, you've, somewhere in the last 24 to 36 months, you've gotten a little, you've gotten a little bit, not soft, but complacent. You know, I'd fall in love. You know, I, you know, I'd worked every minute of my life. And so when you go that hard from 22 to 29, you know, where you don't do anything. I didn't do anything besides work at the wine library and, and care about the New York Jets. And I mean that. Right. I had girlfriends that literally, like I was living separate. Like, you know, usually marriages can live separate lives. Girlfriend, boyfriends living separate lives is very unique. That's how you, weird I was about my business. So driving to work on my 30th birthday was one of the biggest moments of my life. I would argue is probably the thing you're looking for here 
from the way you have this format yep. structured. I always think about, right, you know, parents, b- being an immigrant, things that I can't recall. But black and white, something that's tangible for a listener that you have control over, checking yourself in key moments, whether that's, you know, Oprah, weirdly enough, recalling her, did a whole campaign to like, on your birthday, go to the doctor. Like, you don't like, go, like go on your birthday. That was her big push, and I'm sure that's been around for decades. I feel like, judge your life. Right. On your birthday every year, when you wake up, judge your life. And on my 30th, I didn't believe I was achieving what I could, and I got serious. So when you looked at those eyes in the mirror as you're driving, and you said, I had to check myself again, did it feel kind of out of body, like you were looking Completely. at yourself from a different perspective? I've got something for you. Go on. I live my life out of body. I'm literally sitting right here. I, I like this. I'm, let's go with this. People ask me, do I meditate? I always say no, because I don't. But in my, I'll, I've never shared this. I'm giving this to you because I like you. This is the first time we're really getting to spend time, but I've always liked you from afar, and I love your my intuitive energy about you. Just yep. feel like a really nice guy. <laughs> so I'll give, you some, I'll give you something that I know a lot of my fans will listen to this whole podcast just for this part. Um, I feel like I'm meditating at all times. Wow. Man, I, I will tell you, like from a, like I, there's a lot of me that wishes modern science was further. I'm dying to know what I'm made of. I'm so calm, man. I'm telling you, I will, I will fall apart and cry on this floor right now if somebody texts me and te- my sister tells me she's diagnosed with a terminal illness, but you take the health of like eight people out of the equation, me and my seven inner family members, 10, 15, you take that out of the equation, I'm completely unbeatable. I'm, I am unmovable. I am at such common peace and I'm watching myself at all times. What's interesting is so... You know, I've been on camera for a really long time, do a lot of public speaking, and people say, wow, you, you really excel in front of a crowd. You excel in front of a camera. You're able to communicate so clearly. What I tell everyone is, what I tell everyone is when I'm standing on stage, when I have to deliver a message, it feels very out of body, like I'm watching someone else speak, and I know what they're going to say next. And that idea of this out-of-body experience is one that it's hard to articulate, but very real when you take Michael Jordan and you say, did you take that shot and make it? Or did you see yourself from afar making it? They All the, all the greats of people who have achieved greatness in moments, critical moments in their life, all say it felt like it was just happening. And that happening in terms of energy is something that it can go one way or the other. When negative things are happening, people also are outside of their body and allowing it to happen and they're not taking the reins. What's interesting about you is when you looked back at yourself, you called bullshit on yourself and you said, as positive as your life was, you said, I need to change direction even though you would have had an amazing life just going down the road that you were going down. You know how that people say the, the biggest danger to great is, is good, things like that, right? When I was, uh, just a quick little anecdote. Please, please. Is when I was in kindergarten, I uh, colored in an assignment and I handed it in to the teacher and the teacher said, wow, that's good. And I said, good is a word you use when something isn't great. <laughs> that's great. And she's like, oh, excuse me. And that mantra for me has stuck with me for so long because if something's just good, it prevents you from being great. You should always shoot for greatness. I genuinely felt at that time that great is the danger of all time. I mean, I was really on my way. 
Like, let's, let's, let me, let me call it out. If I stayed the course, I would be 42 years old right now running a $200 million retail e-commerce wine business, multiple locations, making 10 to $15 million a year. That's great. Like those are, you know, when you're making eight figures a year, you're in the point zero zero. you know. Right. I just want to be all time. I really, really do. Like I really do. Like I, I've been in the rooms with the President of the United States, with the all like the greatest athletes of all time, the biggest CEOs of all time, the founders of the hottest companies in the world. I've never felt out of place, man. I've never felt out of place, and I don't feel out of place when I'm in outside, standing in the snow right now, in Minnesota, across from Wall of America, because I didn't want to do it in the mall because I got a sense that. The, Security there was getting upset, and instead of making a scene and acting cool, I didn't want to be disrespectful. The kind class clown, right? I didn't want to do that, and right. so I did in a parking lot outside. It was cold out there. It's fucking cold out there, <laughs> you know. But I don't feel out of place there. I don't feel out of place in a studio at two in the morning in Atlanta, and I don't feel, you know, out of place in the boardroom with the, and, I, and that high low nature. And is, I think so, you know, I'm trying to articulate it given the context. Is, Something in the way that I'm pulling so hard in opposite directions makes it feel like I'm watching it. Let me share with you, Please. and I, wanted to, I want your take on this. Please. So my, the moment that defines my life was the way in which I met my wife. So Lizzie and I... Your wife's name's Lizzie too? Mine too. L-I-Z-Z-I-E? <laughs> L-I-Z-Z-I-E. Wow. So, I knew I liked come you. Come on, I knew Keep I liked you. But on. you didn't meet her on J-Date like I did and married her in two seconds. <laughs> but you had love I at first sight. Oh, even better. I, I basically was communicating to my wife an hour into our first date. We met on J-Date, which in essence is a blind date, call it what you want, of about like, hey, just so you know, you know that I, I just, I'm gonna get weird on this. I dropped my wife off after our first date. We had a three-hour dinner date on a Sunday night, and I wouldn't have gone if the Jets lost, but they won. So I was in a, this is not a joke. So the Jets win a game, random game against Tennessee Titans. We um we have dinner. It's Sunday night, late, like eight thirty, because the Jet game and this and that. Sunday, Lizzie's like, my wife was like, so weird. Sunday night, eight thirty. Um, we have a three-hour dinner. I drop her off. I live in Jersey. She's on the Upper East Side. We were on the West Side, so I went all the way out of my way. Dropped her off. Went the other way. The second I dropped her off, I called her. Like she wasn't in the lobby of her building. Right. And the opening line I said, like I didn't even say hey, I didn't even say hi. I said, can you believe this is it? And that, and what did she respond? What? <laughs> <laughs> She's like, what? We got, mar- you- we got married within the year of that call. So let me share with you my quick story about meeting my wife because I think that this is a very important thing for our listeners to understand of how there is just a genuine true energy in the universe. I sat next to my wife on a plane. I was traveling with a business colleague and we had a ticket mix up. So I was supposed to be sitting with somebody else. Wow. So I don't even know if I was holding the right ticket. Yes. I sit next to her and I, I literally it was like, God was shining this beam of light and saying, this is the one. She was the most beautiful woman I'd ever seen. I'm unbathed. I'm just a mess. And we're flying from Denver to Los Angeles. I'm like, oh my God. I run to the bathroom. I'm like fixing my hair. I'm putting water in. I'm you like, have great hair. So. Well, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I, I, can't, I can't believe this. I sit down next to her. She's holding a book that's called A Perfect Match. I'm like, hi, John Brankus. We start talking. 
they announce over the intercom, uh, we have a, a problem. There's a mechanical problem on the plane. Everybody has to get off. We're going to be stuck here for hours in the airport. I go up to the guy I was traveling with. He was just a business colleague. I say to him, I will give you $100 to stay away from me. I just met the girl I'm going to marry. She calls her parents and says, I think I just met the guy I'm going to marry. We're both dating other people. We spend five hours in the Denver airport. We get back on the plane. And when we land in Los Angeles, I say, what are the chances I can get your information? She says, pretty good. We exchange information. Turns out we lived two blocks away from each other on the same street in Los Angeles. So good. Now I want your take yes. on how does something like that happen? In the how does that energy come together? That moment where both people are so on the same page and they live right down the street from yeah, each other I and meet randomly in an so, airport. So look, I I think a lot of this. I'm going to throw such a loop for you and the audience. I think there's a lot of Monday morning quarterback to this. Go on, I want to hear it. I think that what happened there was two individuals that are open to things that happened to collide at that moment. And that had you and or her had been put into a situation in another time with another opened person, like I think we could have married each other's wives. That's a very weird thing to say, (laughs) but I think that's a good starting point for my answer. I love men to be, I'm into it. I can be sold on it for say, but I think it's about openness to yes versus closed and no. Right. I think it's offense versus defense. I think there's a ridiculousness around prevent defense. You're telling me that you've been doing something successful for 57 minutes, for 58 minutes, for 59 minutes, and now because the circumstances have changed, you change your defense into something that is more passive and creates more opportunity for the other person? Right. Get out of here. I'm on offense at all times, and I feel that both of you were emotionally and mentally on offense and open and yes, and it created the right rationale. So there's a lot of people who never even thought to think that. And I, this is this is where you and I are completely on the same page. I think that if she and I had met a few months earlier, we wouldn't have fallen in love immediately because neither one of us. She had just moved to L.A. I had just moved to Los Angeles. If we meet. Prior to that, there's and you were no both way. in long distance relationships. We both had uh, we we both. She was in a long distance relationship. I had recently gotten out of a long distance relationship and was and was just dating, dating people Got in, in yep. LA. Yep. The what's interesting is we always say, and we actually tra- trace this back. I'm five years older than my wife. I went to the University of Virginia. She was on the campus of University of Virginia, touring, looking at colleges when I was in the the same place at the same time. I'm like, if we had met. Any time between when I was at UVA and when I was 31, it was on March, it was literally on March 2nd of 2003. Like we met at any point in time during that, I'm not sure we fall madly in love because our energy was just different. I was in a different space. 100%. You're either on offense, open, or defense, closed, and there's moments in a day, just moments in time. Right. I, I genuinely believe that. I, I believe that a million things could be different for me. I think I'd be winning because I'm emotionally in a good place right. and I would be optimistic and I'm, I'm a good salesman and I understand people's behavior. But I mean, I could be the great professor right now of our country 
You know, I'd be a great teacher. I'd be a great, you know, there's, there's a million things. Like I could be the principal that turned around inner schools. Like there's a, I could be the head coach. I, I, I could be the head coach of a program that has never been successful. Right. To, like tomorrow, what I'm doing now for a living, I genuinely believe if you told me, here's a mid-market school or a major school that's never had success, go turn around the program, there's no shot I can't. So here's my question to you is, you and I are cut from that same A-type, visionary, I want to make something out of nothing. It, I, could, I could go a million different directions, but whatever it is that I'm going to do, I'm going all in. Yes. Right? I mean, there's no reason to do it unless and, you're all and in. And for everybody who's listening, for me, all in is I'm going to listen and watch so carefully and so well up front that once I understand, I go the other way and I get so loud and so aggressive. A lot of people think I'm all in and I come out the gain and blah. You know, at this point in my career with a lot of success, if I start a sports agency, I'll be like, hey, we're gonna do damage. Now be my little version. But I'm sitting and watching. All in is listening first and then talking. And that's where people get confused. I love that because I always like to say, the smartest people ask the most questions. Right? Gather, gather. The- or, or, I'll throw a wrinkle on that because this is more the way I listen and I think we need to, I feel like people who listen the way I do don't get the benefit of listening. I don't necessarily ask the most questions the way that you and I, and I see people who are really good at it and I'm like, oh, that's a smart person to ask, you know? I actually like to talk a lot to create reactions, which is how I get to the answer quicker than asking the question directly. I feel that I can create narratives that get me to the actual true answer versus if I asked it straight and the person would give me a filtered or an angled answer. I 100% understand what you're saying is because what you need to be able to do is to react to not only the energy but the knowledge that you're gaining. The context, right? The context of everything, right? So my question is, in terms of your ability, my ability to create something out of nothing, is that inside of everyone? Does everyone hold the potential to unlock and to have that out-of-body experience and to have that I, moment? I don't know, but I can tell you this. Only when they're at peace with themselves so that they can go on the offense to do what we're talking about. If you're on the receiving end, if you're slow, it's speed, it's sports. You know, when you do your thing from the way I knew you, it's unbelievable what 100 of a second. Yeah. Is that the craziest? Is it, it's crazy. That- I, I think about that. I'm, I, this is more me now asking you. Like, yeah. It's scary to me that a kid comes along who's a hundredth of a second faster and can disrupt the nature of the sport. Right. It's, 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 think about it. If you're training your entire life for a single moment and you lose by a hundredth of a second and you now have to do the math on how did I lose by a hundredth of a second? There are there are an infinite number of factors that came into play that shaved off a millionth of a second. The and most people aren't thoughtful about this. So you know, everybody thinks about a race or a receiver. I think if a if a defensive lineman can get off by a hundredth of a second earlier, and he got to the quarterback and that pass never happens. You can look at the David Tyree play, you could look at all these iconic plays, you know, and you could look at the Patriots comeback last year, thank God I didn't consume any of it as a Jets fan, I don't watch any Patriots Super Bowls, <laughs> I'm leaving tomorrow morning. Right. Um, it, there's a million variables. So to me, as a businessman, 
I'm at such a happy place. I'm not worried about what's going on at home. I'm not worried about what's going on in my past. I'm not worried about what's going on in my office because I built culture for continuity, which gives me speed. I'm moving so much faster than everybody because I'm not worried about what people think about me, which is number one. Right, because you're at peace with yourself. And because if I lose, I'm accountable to myself. Right. right? I, don't, I didn't grow up with first place fake trophies. Nobody, I, I never saw people get trophies for, for participating. Right. I never saw it. That, right, it was a, that, that would be a, a joke monster. and an insult. It's a monster issue in our current society of fruitfulness. We're not teaching kids accountability and winning and losing, which is what life is only about. And so I'm so much faster than a lot of people in the business world, and I do think about myself as an athlete that way. I'm like, oh, I'm Tariq Hill, right? I get it. I'm, right. fat, I'm Dion, right? I'm prime time. Let me throw, I'm gonna throw, I'm gonna try to throw you for a loop and Please. tell you something that I don't, you may not have ever heard it put this way. Please. So if you take the five best running backs of all time in the NFL by yards gained. By yards gained. By yards gained. We're talking about Curtis Martin now. Curtis Martin's in the top yep. five. LT, Barry Sanders, Walter Payton, Emmitt Smith. All of them are six feet and below. The average weight is around 210 pounds. None of them were the fastest in the league. I know. Fastest on their team. Most of them were not the fastest at their own position on their own team. That's right. So F equals MA, forces, mass times acceleration. The bigger the mass and acceleration, the higher the force. If you are too big and too fast, you experience too much force, which, mean, which means there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. What you need to be is not at the top of the curve. You need to be near the top of the curve in what I, in what I like to call the Goldilocks zone of I'm big enough, fast enough in order to I'm not generating enough force to kill myself, but I'm generating enough force to deter or to get through a tackle. I'm dying to know the psyche of the other four because I've gotten to know Curtis really well. And I'm like, this makes so much sense. I don't know the other four. Obviously, Walter's not, you know, but makes a ton of sense. I knew where you were going because Mass Yard, I mean, you look at... uh who's Indianapolis, Frank Gore's on his way, right? Like, yep, Frank Gore they're calls the, in there. They're the same guys. Like, I look at them, I'm like, oh my God, I'm a diehard Jets fan. Curtis has become a real friend. A frustrating running back in a weird way for me as a Jets fan because, not really, because I understood, but the emotional side, right. like, you're like, all right, great, 29 carries, three, three yards, you know, the average, but the mindset that he played with, they're makes, monsters. 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 And they're relatively, relative to the guys on the field, they're relatively smaller men on the field, but they're mentally far superior. You try to convince Curtis Martin that he can't run through that wall of giant men. Try to I'm, convince him. I'm else. a little bit scared that I couldn't convince Curtis Martin that he can't fly. <laughs> you know, you know, listen, I really think that, you know, to me, that's a super fascinating thing. But the psyche, I, I'm, so I don't know about you, the thing that is keeping me up at night out of excitement is we know nothing about the brain. Very little. Right? right? Like just a stunningly little amount about the brain. And so for me, I am really trying to figure that out because I think that variable is extraordinary. Right. Listen, Gary V, I want you right now, tell all of the listeners out there, most, most of our listeners are gonna know who you are, but how can we follow you? What do you wanna promote? I want to promote, they can figure that out. They can Google. Right. I want to promote the mindset of we're two very happy guys. 
we've had circumstances. Add one positive friend to your life and slow down the amount of time you spend with a negative one. And I mean, if your mom is negative, it's okay to talk to her once a week instead of three times a day. This is actually the most controllable way to get into the good stuff we're talking about. Being around positivity matters and being around negativity matters. Cut negativity out, add positivity in. Positive energy begets positive energy. I love it. I'm glad God this bless happened. You. Thank you so Real much. Thank you. Guys, thanks so much for listening to the audio experience. It would mean the world, and I mean the world, if you could go and leave a rating on iTunes. Your word of mouth is my oxygen.